0: to know that I have literally never in my life spent this long prepping a sermon (laughs) legit it's been like four weeks Um, and it's not because I feel like scripture is not clear about homosexuality LGBTQ stuff as well as what Christians should do I actually think it's very clear but I also recognize that it's an incredibly hyperpolarizing conversation. And the beauty of what it is to be a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-socioeconomic, multi-political, multi-dot dot dot church family is we're literally all over the place. And that's okay. That's okay. I want to make sh- so today's I actually told Christine this um, and and somebody else this too, I think it was Jason, that I feel the pressure of being precise. Not being perfect, because that's not a thing. (laughs) Not having all the answers, because that's not a thing. But precision is important right now. Um, And so there's a pressure to that. That's actually why I call it Clearly Defined Lines, but I actually wanna make sure that we're on the same page about what I mean when I say Clearly Defined Lines because I don't necessarily mean to separate and say which side are you on. If you've ever done hair, especially if you've ever done braids, the parts, the parts matter, right? Like if you're like the parts, you can't just grab a section of hair and start braiding, right? I've never done hair like this before. I've never done this style before, but I've watched Christine do it. And it takes time and precision and intentionality. If you gonna make these lines straight, if the parts are going to actually look like it was on purpose to get this design that's on the left there, that means you have to care. So when I'm talking about clearly defined lines, I'm not saying pick a side this morning. I'm saying that we need to comb through some things. Right? Right. And we need to be able to actually demonstrate with what we do at the end of this, that there's care and intentionality that's a part of it. That's what I mean by clearly defined lines. The most part, when people start having this conversation, regardless of where we are on the spectrum of what we think about homosexuality and LGBTQ plus matters, the conversation starts to end like, look like this picture here. (laughs) It's all over the place. And honestly, most of the sermons that I've heard about it, when you're like on social media, they like that too. (laughs) You get a whole bunch of pastors' opinions about what they think it is, what they think it's not, and nowhere close to actually being engaged in relationship with, with someone who would consider themselves a part of that community. And it's literally all over the place. If it's not like that for us as Christians, it also sometimes looks like this. Putting lines where they don't belong. Go to that next picture for me. Uh-oh, you don't have a next picture. These pictures are gonna matter today, <laughs> so that might have been. Uh, ah, no, it's a, um, it's a road with a line in the like in the middle of it, Rando. Nah, don't worry about it. That's at the end. You can go back to the other one. The, converse, so the conversation always is always best. Is that what you have next? Yeah. yeah. That next picture ultimately was just a road with a, it had a yellow line through the middle of it and then a painted yellow line where it should not be. Oftentimes, as Christians, when we're having this conversation, we end up putting lines where they shouldn't be. Because of whatever reason, our own stuff that we carry into the conversation. We put lines where they shouldn't be. So I sincerely believe that this conversation is always best within the bounds of a healthy friendship. I really do believe that. I really do. It's far too intimate a conversation to just watch a video and say you know all the things. It's far too intimate a conversation for you to listen to a sermon and say oh I got it now. Right, we're going, we're going to talk about it today, but I also want you to know that the conversation is far too intimate for you to just say you got all the things because you heard a sermon about it today. <clears throat> Before we answer the question, is homosexuality or is LGBTQ plus a sin, we need to actually talk about what a sin is. So what is a sin? <laughs> what you got back there? All right. Hold on. It's okay. You know what? It's all right. Here's what we're going to do. All right. What is sin? (laughs) Sin is any action that dishonors my God or my neighbor or myself. I think that's the best way for us to describe what sin is. I'm paraphrasing, right? There's a bunch of of lists that we can talk about what sin is, and sure, that's great. But at the end of the day, when we talk about what sin is, it is some action that dishonors my God, or, and I'm using or on purpose. Because most of the time when we start thinking about what sin is, we actually use and. So either it dishonors my neighbor and me, and that's what makes it sin, or it dishonors my neighbor and God, and that's what makes it sin. Here's what I mean. Stealing from the store dishonors your neighbor and God. And that's why we might think it's a sin. However, there are other things that are a part of Scripture that clearly don't dishonor and and. It's a one or the other situation something that dishonors god is in and then of itself sin even if no one is hurt by it on the earth <laughs> it is that's how scripture talks about sin to dishonor doesn't mean just to make sad to dishonor means to diminish one's value social standing. So if I'm in relationship with God and a representative of God in the earth and something I do dishonors God even though the world around me may not be quote unquote saddened by it I've diminished the world's understanding and value of God because of my actions thus it's sin. That's why like Taking the Lord's name in vain is considered a sin, right? It's not just putting God in front of a cuss word. When we take the Lord's name in vain is to misrepresent God to the earth. Name means identity. So anytime I misrepresent God to creation, I am taking the Lord's name in vain. Everybody else in the room might not be hurt by it, but it dishonors God and thus it's sin, right? That's what this means. So that has to be in the backdrop of every single thing we talk about moving forward. Not so that we end all on the same page agreeing about this answer, but this conversation is null if that's not what sin means. So when we talk about homosexuality, it's in this category of sexual sins. Um, so, yes, thank you. Sexual sin in the Bible. It's, it's all over the place. Most of the time when people, yeah, you can take pictures of these, and if you want these slides, I'll send them to you um, because there are lots of scripture references in them. Um, this is just a list It's a condensed list that shows up both in the New Testament and the Old Testament in various different places, and I just chose three because I didn't want to fill up the screen with all of the places where it shows up. But it's all over the place in Scripture. Non-consensual sex is a sin. It's a sexual sin in Scripture. With close relatives, during menstruation, homosexuality, with animals, with the dead, fornication, uh, asterisk, adultery. Why do I have an asterisk by adultery? Because adultery is a unique kind of fornication. Fornication just means anybody, having sex with anybody I'm not married to. So adultery is in form of fornication, but it also uniquely breaks a covenant that a spouse has. And that's why it's a special kind of fornication. But in the grand scheme of things, it falls under the category of fornication. And there's one that we've, I mean, that most of us don't have to think about. That's why I got two asterisks. Looking in lust. (laughs) Like in Matthew, Jesus is like, I know y'all heard that. Like, committing adultery is a sin. If you look at somebody else's spouse with adultery in mind, you sinned. Like, here's what I'm trying to say. This list is not just homosexuality, even though that's what we want. Some oftentimes we want to say. It's not just one thing. And quite honestly, I'm sure this list you found your temptation on. I'm going to let you sit with that for a minute, because that, I think, is actually the point of being super explicit in Scripture, because it really could have just said, don't do sexual sins. But it gave us a list, not so that we could prioritize and categorize, but so that you find yourself in there, because you might not be sexually attracted to animals, but one of them things on this list is you. I told you it's not going to be graphic, but it is going to be explicit. And if you're uncomfortable, join the whole team. That's actually the point of the list. It's not to make us feel condemned, but to point to something inside of us. Hey, that thing right there that you feel compelled to do that is on this list, you should have your awareness brought there. Amen. Though as believers, as Christians, and as humans, kind of going back to that one sermon and talking about how like uh, salvation isn't about status; it's not about like how good or how bad I am. Or we like categories, and the honest truth is, if we try to make this into categories of good, bad, worse, better, it gets really complex. I want to show you this next image because that's kind of what it looks like now when we start talking about sexual sin, like homosexuality has been blacklisted as something very unique and specific. (laughs) Looking and lust has been whitelisted, because that's normal. (laughs) We don't even talk about during menstruation with animals and with the dead. (laughs) Adultery is like super bad, so it's red. Non-consensual sex, and with close relatives, is in—it's literally crimes in some states, right? So like, non-consensual sex is a crime everywhere, but like, fornication is kind of on the line, is it really? I mean, ah. Uh... And we gonna add masturbation, all sex is bad, and basically anything I don't do, for good measure. I know I'm saying it facetiously, but, like, this is the history of the church talking about what sex is and what sex is not, and, and like, even throwing in some techniques not being good. I'm going to just back up and let y'all wrestle with that for a minute. And all of this can be found in First Opinions (laughs) 24-7. At the end of the day, Scripture is very clear. Sexual sin is sexual sin. Period. It has, there's not one that is more sexual sin than any other. And here's the truth. It's okay. Here's, here's an interesting thing. It's okay for you to not like one more than the other. That's Okay. The Bible doesn't forbid you from liking and disliking things. You can say, I don't particularly care for that kind of sin right there. It gives me the heebie-jeebies. And still not teach that it is more significant than another. Because that is what causes confusion, anxiety, and this conversation to go awry. Homosexuality does show up on a list of sexual sins in scripture, in both the New Testament and the Old Testament, and it shows up in too many places for us to pretend that it's not there. But I never want us to get it twisted, so does your temptation. <laughs> Mine does, yours does, in both the New Testament and the Old Testament. Get uncomfortable, because that's, that's the point. The whole point of it is that we are convicted by the Spirit so that we can actually go to the Spirit. We'll talk about that in a moment. I think if we had to land somewhere, we need to land here. Biblical parameters for godly sexuality. Healthy, monogamous marriage between a biological female and male. I'm going to let us sit with that. As I recognize in a multi-everything church, we're all over the place about all of those words. And I'm okay with us being all over the place. We're all over the place. This is not about picking a side. It's about making parts and a scalp so we can clearly see. If we had to condense what we see in Scripture, this is what is there. That's what's there, as it relates specifically to biblical parameters of godly sexuality. But because we are talking clearly defined lines, we also have to make sure that we see another line. Not every time we're having a conversation about sexuality, we're having a conversation about Scripture. A biblical conversation is talking about actions. Fornication, homosexuality, adultery are actions. When we're having a socio-political conversation, we're talking about identity. And those are very different things. LGBT is not an action. It is an identity. It is what one calls themselves, And they give others permission to call them. Whether you like it or not, God has given each and every one of us the ability to decide what we call ourselves. So we can. That's not a sin. It's an identity. It's and here's another interesting truth about what that is. LGBTQ plus identity, they don't actually share the same sexual orientations, gender expressions, they don't share the same actions. What they share is an identity of being rejected by the normal parts of society, quote unquote. And particularly in our conversation, the church. What's shared by LGBTQ plus people is that church people didn't like them because of their actions or because of their identity, which goes back to that slide where we were all over the place blacklisting and redlisting things because there was something I didn't like. I didn't, it's not what I do, that's not how I feel, and mm, the Bible says it's not good. The Bible says your stuff ain't good either. But you fit well enough with the group to not get pushed out. you have to know what conversation you're having and in 2023 in the united states of america most people are not having the biblical conversation you want them to be having most of us are having a socio-political conversation what i mean by that is social our society and the and the politics that go along with that we're not having If you can go to that next slide for me. Uh Uh-oh, go to the church and the school. There we go. This is a different conversation altogether. And particularly those of you who work with people outside of church, you know this is a different conversation. If you're a counselor, a teacher, a trainer, uh, anything else, a coach, you are having a completely different conversation, and you cannot actually take the rules of one conversation into another and expect it to go well. You just can't. That's not how this works. It's okay for us to know that. We've talked about that here before. That the household of God has a way of being that is dictated to us by our Father. That the rest of the world is not being held to. You might not like that, but that's the truth. (laughs) I can't go to my neighbor's house and try to enact the rules of my house on their kids. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. The only thing that happens is I'm frustrated. I'm mad because they're not following the rules. Whose rules? (laughs) That's not the rules of this house. It's different. The rules in a socio-political conversation are different than the rules in a biblical conversation. You need to know what conversation you're having in order to understand, as a Christian, how to respond. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But when we start talking identity, biblical parameters for godly identity... Shaped, defined, led, and nurtured by Christ. Because this is, if this is what we are saying as Christians, what it means to be a Christian literally means little Christ. (laughs) That's what it means. So, in a conversation about identity, if an individual does not, identify as a Christian, this conversation is pretty simple. It's real simple. God has given you the authority to do whatever you want. And a part of my love for that, a part of my love for you is being submitted to the the sovereignty of God to say, I don't get to decide what you do with your life. (laughs) I don't. I don't, I don't get to share my opinion about what you do. I don't get to go to pride, uh, pride festivals with signs telling them all that they're going to hell. I don't get to do that. That's right. That ain't my job. That's right. And that's taking rules from one household and trying to apply them in a household. That's not, that ain't the, that's not what happens. That's not what we do. That's not how this works. However, if we're having a conversation with someone who says, I am a Christ follower, the conversation is different. We are part of the same household. And that conversation looks different, feels different. And it still requires, requires discipline, which we'll talk about in a minute. Still requires humility, which we'll talk about in a minute, but we have to have clearly defined lines. I'm going to be honest with you. You having a conversation with your coworker and y'all don't have any fellowship spiritually? You know, I'm not asking you for your opinion in all your verses of Scripture. <laughs> Keep that to yourself. Oh. We'll talk about why that's, why that's important in a minute. I know, I'm, we're going to get there, I promise. Okay. I want us to see this portion of Scripture in 2 Corinthians talking about this identity piece. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ. This is what I mean by shaped, nurtured, led by Christ. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Why is that important for us? There's a part of the third question that talks about us potentially being born. Gay. Here's the interesting thing. There's enough science to say that it's potentially possible. It's a thing. Sure. And I don't even, we don't even really need to go into a super long debate about it. You could actually and sincerely say, you could agree, a person can be born with Homosexual desires, absolutely, 100%, yes. And still, this portion of Scripture is applicable. I think the thing that we struggle with here is we keep trying to make lines where they don't belong. Here's what we've talked about in that whether or not people are chosen at birth sermon At the end of the day, the image that we have of God sitting in a baby factory, tinkering and making sure that every single eyelash is put where it's supposed to go and every desire and everything that they ever want will be there is not a thing. God made creation and made it to reproduce itself. He made humans and made humans with the ability to reproduce themselves. I know that y'all like saying like, God broke the mold when he made you, but he didn't, it wasn't up there like, <laughs> like breaking molds. It's not cookie factory, right? <laughs> like, it's not how that works. Human beings, every single one of us, are born with an identity. And if and when we surrender our life to Christ, That identity is enveloped in who Christ is. Mm -hmm. So that means for every single one of us, there's some convictions that begin to set in and some changes that actually get enacted in our life. It just is what it is. I know that's uncomfortable. I'm going to (sighs) pause. Because if we're having a socio-political conversation, who you are is good and it doesn't need to change. That's what what it means to be an American. (laughs) Pursuit of happiness, as long as you ain't hurt nobody else, you're fine. But if we're having a biblical conversation, that is not true for any single one of us. Because just because nobody on the earth is being hurt doesn't mean it's not dishonoring God. And my stuff is on the list just like anybody else's. And also subject to the transformation of what it is for my identity to be enveloped in God. That's why you have to kind of separate those conversations, because if you try to smash them together, it doesn't work. It really doesn't. It doesn't work. Okay. We've talked about homosexuality being on a list of sexual sins. For the record, there is absolutely no mention of LGBTQ plus anything in Scripture because that's an identity. Scripture is talking about actions. But part of the second questions were how do we respond as Christians? In light of all of what we see throughout Scripture, that sexual sin in and of themselves is in both old, new, and everything in between. In light of that, how do we respond as Christians? And we get to actually land at a portion of Scripture. It's in John. John chapter 8. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Pause, y'all know this story. Chase, that's not homosexuality. I know it's not, because I don't feel the need to separate homosexuality from what the scripture just says is sexual sin. This is a person caught in the act of sexual sin. There are so many rabbit trails on this one story. (laughs) Pray my discipline in the Lord, (laughs) right? (laughs) The whole point is not so that we pull apart everything apart this, about this portion of Scripture, right? There's lots of things that we can grasp and gather here. But there are a couple of things I want to point to as it relates to our conversation, this heart talk today. It continues, Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. I would highlight that, but not going to talk about it. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Okay, first of all, that's a bad move, right? Not, not bad as in not good, bad as in, you know, Michael Jackson bad, you know, like, right? I mean, this brother, they out here, like, working hard to keep to trap him in something. He on the floor drawing little stick figures. Stands up, has the biggest mic drop bars of all time and then goes back to drawing cartoons that could be a great rabbit trail but I want us to see one thing while they were trying to separate her because of her actions, because of sin. They were trying to separate her from the group. Jesus invited them all, all of her accusers, to see themselves in her. Jesus invited all of her accusers to see themselves in her. They wanted to draw a line between her and them, and he was like, see yourself in her. That's really what that line is. He who doesn't have sin, throw the first stone. It's not just, let me make you guilty real quick so you don't throw something. (laughs) That's a piece of it, yes. I mean, it's this masterful wordsmithing going on. But ultimately... Jesus is saying, I know that you want her to be separate from you because you feel like her actions are worthy of separation, but I need you to see yourself in her and find that there has been mercy that has been extended to you. There's mercy. That has been extended to you. Once you remember the mercy that has been extended to you, you don't have a rock to throw. So at that point, it really doesn't matter what you think about LGBTQ plus stuff. It doesn't matter what you think about homosexuality or any other sin that's on that list. Because when you remember the mercy that you have been shown, you don't have a rock to throw. That's what Jesus was really doing. Scripture doesn't have to actually sit there and have this long, drawn-out explanation about what's good for us and what's bad for us and all of that. Mercy is so incredibly prevalent all the way through both the Old and the New Testament that Jesus is reminding them that this is who I am. This is who we are. If you say that you are a part of God's people, then mercy is what we do. And I don't actually care what your opinion is about it at that point, because mercy is what we do, (laughs) right? Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? They remembered what mercy had been shown, and they left, right? (laughs) Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. There's an—after that, later on in this same chapter, Jesus says something that's pretty curious. He's talking to Pharisees who are, again, trying to trap him and all that stuff. He's having this long conversation with them. And he says, you judge me by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. We were actually reading this in Bible study a few weeks ago. Like and just sitting there pondering that for a moment, like I don't know that I always I don't know that I remembered that in scripture that Jesus says I don't judge anyone. Right? That I'm going to read the rest of it, but I want us to stop there for a second and think about that. Jesus says of himself, "I don't judge anyone." Which is on, like, it's, it's on brand. Even in John 3.16, right after, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It says right after, I did not come to condemn the world, nor shame the world for its wrong, but <laughs> to bring life, <laughs> to redeem. That's my job. That's what I'm here for. Jesus has this interesting moment where he says I don't judge anybody but and if I did my judgment would be correct though (laughs) in every respect because I am not alone the father who sent me is with me I need you to hold that for a second Another portion of scripture that I need us to You don't have to hold this one you can just let this one sink all the way in. James chapter 2 verse 20 or verse 13. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. <laughs> but if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Man, we love to pull out scriptures about homosexuality, but maybe we keep this one in our back pocket. Like, like I'm not going to highlight that one. <laughs> That's not the one I want to read. <laughs> have you seen yourself in it yet? Because I know myself enough to know that I've judged some folks. I have not been merciful when I should have been. Pause for a moment, because for those of us who do not believe homosexuality is a sin, there would not be a need for mercy, and I just need to acknowledge it for a moment. Every single one of us are in need of mercy, period. And when, this is super clear, and James is not the only one who says it. Jesus says it quite a bit. So whatever soapbox you have, whatever lines you're drawing, if you are not merciful, the Lord will not be merciful with you. <laughs> That's a cause and effects thing. How we see it, salvation And how we see our relationship to God has shifted since the law. And that's okay for us to acknowledge too. A significant way, not significant, the most significant way for us to understand how we are to relate to sin, how we are relate to God, how we relate to all of this is when when Jesus was asked, what are the greatest commandments? You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul and all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. <laughs> Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on those these two commandments that 's why I said before, like when we look, what how can we condense sin into a statement? anything, any action that dishonors my God, my neighbor, and myself. As the church, we have hyper-focused on sin because it's easier for me to honestly control you and know I'm doing well as a pastor if I guilt you into behavior modification. and push you out when you don't wanna modify. But at the end of the day, what all of us are called to is not to avoid sin. It is to love God with my whole self, love my neighbor as myself. That's what I'm called to And the natural result of that is over time, I begin to sin less. That's just truth. That's how this works. I can't say that I love you and still want to beat you up. (laughs) That doesn't work that way. I can't, like, at some point, I have to be honest about the fact that I don't love you if I want to kick you in the face. I got to be honest about that. And then I need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, my bad. I'm not loving my neighbor the way that I should. At some point, I have to be honest about the fact when there is some action that I desire to do or regularly do that dishonors God, I have to be honest and say, God, I want it. (laughs) I like it. You're like he don't know. <laughs> it ain't a secret. At some point, I just have to be honest about it. I want this. I like this. One of the things on this list of sexual sins is something I enjoy. Help me. Help me because I don't want to dishonor you, because I love you, not because the people are gonna think I'm wrong, not because they're not gonna think I'm a Christian, not because I'm not gonna be sure if or or not I'm gonna to get to heaven. I love you, God, so I want this, but I want you way more. So help me, help me listen. If your behavior never changes, but that's your heart, I'm really good. I'm thinking God's good with you. Here's the thing that may feel uncomfortable for us, but it ain't your job to get comfortable there (laughs) because that's not where we're supposed to be. That's not who, that's not. (laughs) Love your neighbor as yourself. Be merciful because you have been shown mercy. So that means we need another line. Another part is God's job to legislate, God's job to redeem, God's job to transform, and God's job to judge. I put little symbols there. Because even within the Trinity, they divided up responsibilities. Jesus redeems, Holy Spirit transforms, the Father judges. That's why Jesus says, I don't judge. But if I did, because I'm on the same page with the Father, who is the one who judges, (laughs) it'd be right. Here's an interesting thing about that. Jesus came as a human and came... To not judge, to show us that it ain't our job to judge as humans. Amen. <laughs> that's not what we do. Jesus has all the authority to judge, but shows that that's not what I'm here for. Because we, as individuals who are Christians, a part of his body, continuing his work, should not be doing stuff that he didn't do. If he didn't do it, you shouldn't do it. And if he explicitly says, I ain't here to judge, then why are you? There's only one part of the Godhead that judges, one being that does. And ain't now none of it me. (laughs) But even if your thing is not judging, I just want to help them be right. It ain't your job to help them be right. That's the Holy Spirit's job. (laughs) It's not my job to transform you. It's my job to love you. That's the only thing I share with God on this page, is love humans. Everything else is for God to do, and I get to model that, sure. Yeah, absolutely, it's a part of discipleship. The Lord has seen me through my, that area on the list. I got some stuff, a couple things on that list, actually. And the Lord has been with me and been merciful to me in that process as I have faithfully questioned, as I have faithfully struggled, as I have faithfully wrestled and sometimes slipped. Yes. And God's been with me. God's been for me. So let me help you see what that looks like if you want to see it. And I put an asterisk next to direct to God because that's our only other job, but as it relates to matters of sin, that's only when asked. There's only a few times in Scripture where God sends people to go tell them about their sin, and they've been put on assignment. That's, some of y'all thought, like, that's evangelism. No, it's not. Telling people that they're wrong is not evangelism. That's just being judgy. <laughs> that's just being extra. <laughs> Because at no point in Scripture does it say that you telling people that they wrong is what will lead them to repentance. Scripture says that it is the kindness of God that actually encourages repentance in people, not you quoting off every single Scripture that you know about homosexuality at a gay pride rally. That will not do it. It will not do it. Sit down. Ain't nobody asked you to do that. That was not led by the Spirit. I know that you thought it was, it's not. That's why I said before, these are really good in healthy friendship. Because sometimes the Spirit will actually tell you to have a really hard conversation with someone who you love and they know you love them. And that's okay. You get to, because you've been asked to. And sometimes people will legit ask you and we still have a responsibility to deliver that truth in love. Yeah. You don't get to just say what you say. I'm just saying the Bible. No, you're not. You're saying the Bible laced with opinion first opinions 24/7. I, and legit, if you're a person who cannot deliver this with mercy, it's okay to not talk. It's okay. I'm saying I got some things that I got opinions about. And I've already told you that preachers, we get in trouble by, saying, by preaching more our opinion than we do Scripture. It's okay for you to say, the Holy Spirit has not given me the wisdom yet to engage there Confidently. Let me help connect you to someone whom I know has the wisdom and the discipline to have that conversation well. That's okay. It requires humility. It requires humility. But if you're going in hot with no mercy, for those who show no mercy, no mercy will be shown to you. And that, that should make us more uncomfortable than having any conversation about sex. Do you see yourself yet? Because I'm sure I'm on everybody's toes throughout this whole sermon. I have had moments where I have tried to be in God's lane, believing I'm doing the right thing. And God was merciful with me, but I've also over time learned that actually things go way better if I let God be God, and I do the human thing, which is mirroring what Jesus did, and a part of that isn't judging. So, what's the look, the best way for us as Christians to respond, stay in your lane. <laughs> like, legit, stay in your lane. That's the best way. Honestly, that's the best way. I know that's hard for us. I know it's hard for us. And even for those of us who have close relationships, and I'm talking close, a parent, a sibling, a child, as much as you love your parent, your sibling, or your child, it is not your job to change them, steer their life, direct them. At best, the influence you have, is to point them to Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does because here's the inevitable result of you getting in God's lane. Anxiety. Rejection. Pain. Feeling abandoned. Bad relationship with you. And taking on an identity that is mostly connected to being rejected from the rest of the world. That's, like I said before, the only character trait that is shared in the LGBTQ community as it relates to this conversation is not what they do. It's being pushed away by everyone else. And that is what it looks like. Well-meaning people trying to help them figure out their life when that is not your job. Love unconditionally, which means that even if they make decisions with their life that you do not agree with, you are still present. You are still there because guess what? You've made a whole bunch of decisions with your life that God is not happy with, and He's still there. <laughs> when you remember the mercy you have been shown, you have no rocks to throw. And if they ask you, Dad, what do you think about this? Lovingly express what it is that the Lord's revealed to you. And if they never ask there you don't need their permission to pray so just pray that the lord would show them what he needs to show them not show them what you want them to see oh man i know I'm, i know i'm hurting people's toes but half the time we praying to change people and that's not our job lord you care more about that individual than i do you see them way better than i do You love them way more than I do. Based upon what you see and how you love, reveal yourself. And I will trust you with what I can't touch. Last couple things. When having a conversation with a believer um, who is on the fence about one of the cues in LGBTQ+, is questioning. When having a conversation with a believer who's questioning, I have a very controversial advice that I give that I'm going to let y'all know. It's any activity you can invite God into with joy and peace, go for it. That's what it means for me to direct people to God. If God really wanted to get rid of sexual sin, God would have blotted out sexual sin a long time ago. There's, it's not my job to legislate or figure out what to do with it. But I do believe that the Holy Spirit cares way more about their behavior than I do. Way more about their choices and identity than I do. So I can confidently say, I know you're on the fence and I know you're wrestling. Take the anxiety away from what you're doing. And if you truly believe, truly desire to have an intimate relationship with God, every time that you want to engage in the activity, invite God to be a part of it with you. That's weird. Because we're talking about sex. So, let's stay there for a second. Some of us have unhealthy thoughts about what sex is in general. We've been taught it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, all of it's bad. So you may be initially uncomfortable bringing God into a conversation about sex even if it's heterosexual normative, you married. That's still a reason to go to God and allow God to heal that which has been wounded so that you can freely live and what God has provided. Because the truth is, if you cannot bring God into it, then you're not living there freely. (laughs) And if I try to invite God into something that the Lord doesn't want me to do, I will not be able to continue with joy and peace, which is still a reason to take it to God. (laughs) It takes all the anxiety about off about whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong or whether I should or whether I shouldn't every single thing I do I want to invite God in with me. If I can't take God there with me I shouldn't be there. And here's the thing, you might find that there's some things you shouldn't be doing that actually aren't even in scripture. There's some things I there's some shows I cannot watch. Because it takes me to a weird place. I can't take God there with me with joy and peace. So I don't go. That's what we need to actually be inviting one another to. Not just abstain until you don't feel the temptation anymore. Nope. I say, right before you do it, pray. Do you think God is like... He's like Like, we do stuff all the time He don't want us to do. But the only way in which we will develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit that actually transforms me into uh, the likeness of Christ is if I begin to invite the Holy Spirit into all of my activities. And if I bar God from things I don't want Him to see, He sees it already anyway, and I don't experience any transformation. So, I leave you with this image. I leave you with this image, Genesis chapter 9, verses 12 through 17. Some of y'all are uncomfortable with this image, but I just need us to get comfortable with it for a minute. Because some of us get mad every time we see a rainbow flag, like, they took God's promise. Read Genesis chapter 9, verses 12 through 17. You'll see that the invention and the gift of a rainbow was a a demonstration of God's mercy, and God reminding us and himself of mercy. Never again am I wild out on y'all the way I did before. That's basically, you know, that's the Chase Amplified version. I'm not going wild out on y'all the way I did before. AKA, I'm not going to flood the earth again. It doesn't matter how much, it doesn't matter what this looks like moving forward. The symbol still stands. As opposed to being angry every time you see a flag, just thank God for his mercy because it still is legit. It still is legit. Because his mercy is covering everything that's going on in that house. His mercy is covering everything going on in my house. His mercy is covering everything that's going on in this church. His mercy is covering everything going on in these schools. His mercy is covering everything. And the more that I wanna burn these flags, the more I separate myself from being able to embrace the mercy of God that has been shown to me It's still a rainbow in the sky. Whether it's a piece of cloth or water, right? It's still a rainbow in the sky. And see it as an invitation to say, Thank you, God, for your mercy. You are so merciful. That's how Christians should respond. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy. This is complex and sensitive and literally all of us are somewhere in this conversation, somewhere. Thank you that your mercy is deep enough, wide enough and all encompassing enough so that I can be in there with everybody else that's a recipient of it, which is legit all of us. <laughs> May any line I draw direct people to your cross, but not separate humans from one another, not make someone good and someone bad, but any line that I draw, point people directly to your redemptive Gracious kindness because that is what you have done with me. For those whom are a part of the LGBTQ plus community silently and vibrantly give us grace to embrace and love well as you embrace and love well. And also remove from us the stain of arrogance that say we get to decide what that embrace looks like. We are all recipients of your mercy and your love daily. May we replicate that and let you navigate legislating and transforming. It's in your name we pray. Amen.